Greetings, film freaks. We are the Popcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. Season 2. What's popping, people? Welcome to the Popcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in the ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. In some scenes, E.T. was puppeted using a 10-year-old boy who was born without legs, but he was an expert at walking on his hands. On today's episode, we will be talking about Under the Shadow. This is a 2016 film directed by Babak Anvari and stars Nargez Rashidi, Avin Manshadi and Bobby Nadiri. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. As a mother and daughter struggle to cope with the terrors of the post-evolution, war-torn Tehran of the 1980s, a mysterious evil begins to haunt their home. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. I'm in a prison. It's made of cloth. I can't get out. I can't shout. I'm in a prison. No chains, no bars, no cell. You can't see it, it is hell I'm in a prison If I survive the terrors of war If I survive this gin that haunts Will I still be happy? No Cause I'm, I'm in a prison I'm in a prison If I wanted to save my daughter I'd have to think twice about What to put on my head Before I leave the house I'm in a prison I'm in a prison And one day, far from this place She'll get away and change her fate But until then, someone should say What's going on in that place? Let's start with some facts about the film Under the Shadow was the official submission of the United Kingdom For the Best Foreign Language Film category of the 89th Academy Awards in 2017 It didn't win it though, did it? It did not, do you know who won it? I don't The Salesman, seen it? No. Nor have I. I have not seen The Salesman, but that's a shame. I know um, I know. Commode ranked it his favourite film of 2016. Yeah? Yeah. Highly rated it. Off the top of my head, I can't think of any big hitters in 2016, but in Commode we trust. Well, I think the reason it would have such an effect on critics or anyone that watches it is it's, it's a very unusual setting for a horror film. Yeah. To be in a, in a uh, sort of religious state in Iran, of all places. I mean, I'm not well versed in in horror films or films set in Iran. I've only seen a handful of both of those things. Hmm. But I certainly haven't seen anything like this before. And that struck me almost immediately. Hmm. It's got the same beats of a horror, you know, the suspense building and stuff like that. But but there's nothing that while I was watching this or the days following watching this where I thought, oh, that film's actually a lot like this. I couldn't, there's not one that I could compare to. It's very refreshing. I found it odd that the United Kingdom has a offering for the best foreign language film. No, no, because it was partnered with um, 
Iran. It was no, it was part with partnered with uh, Qatar and I think Jordan. It was a collaboration right. between the three film industries so, to create it because it's not filmed in Iran. They couldn't do it in Iran. Okay. Because of the same reasons to what you see in the film happening. It's a, it's a controlled state, isn't it? Mor- yeah. Morality police and stuff. They wouldn't, and they would never allow a film to be filmed because in the scene where she gets reprimanded for having a, her um, hijab, it's not on her head. Yeah. She would have to, she couldn't have filmed that in Iran. They wouldn't have let her. Oh, of course. Mm. I, I guess I'm just a little bit ignorant because I didn't think that the UK would have a have a submission mm. it's only because it had a finger in it yeah yeah i guess so because they played a part in it they submitted it i suppose mm. along with doha and mm. it's cool i never even knew foreign film worked like that i thought they just looked out at the countless countries looked at the films that they produce and then said we like your film i didn't realize you make a submission like yeah. eurovision yeah and it's mad the countries that do submit films that you never that obviously don't make it to the the nominations phase there's mm. there's countries that you would you wouldn't even think would have a submission in them and mm. they do and it's it's amazing to see yeah at 1 hour 11 minutes and 10 seconds when shiddy is it shiddy Shide, 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 Shide is on the terrace. The damaged part of the building on the right side resembles a human skull. I not. Yeah. Did you see this in second upon watch? I w- I read the fact before the first watch. Mm-hmm. Looked out for it. Could not see it. Paused it at the time. Looked for it. Could not see it. Wait. Second watch. Paused it at the time. Stated on said fact. Couldn't see it. So I call bullshit. What the fudge? I Unless we're looking it. at a different edition. Perhaps I don't know. I I know the scene that they speak of. She's on top of the roof where there's uh, there's been some damage by by Iraqi a, missile. A, yeah, and I couldn't. I I looked on the right side, left side, up, down. I personally couldn't see it. You but, keep getting done over by facts at the moment. Yeah, and I will always sniff them. I will always sniff out the facts to see if they are in fact facts. Well, if they're not facts, yeah, don't say it's a fact. Don't write it on the internet. That is the opposite of a fact. And portray as such, if you watch it again, have a look. If you're a listener and you've seen the film and you can point out the skull in question, I'd love it if you got in touch and told me where it is because I couldn't see it. But on, as well as that, later on in the film, there is a part where they're in the house and it's when all the shit's going down. There does look like there's a fucking face in a cushion and I only saw it the second time round. And that shit me up on the second time. I reckon you were seeing things, though. Yeah. I think you were losing it a little. Talking about the facts, I remember hunting for years. I mean years. No different to Indiana Jones looking for the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, but yeah. in Raiders of the Lost Ark, there was always, it was always said that you could see a hieroglyphic of R2-D2 and C-3PO on the wall in the tomb. And I looked. Yeah. I had brooders that looked. I had... Minor father that looked sent out a search party. We all looked. We paused every scene. Yeah, it's in the room of all the snakes, and I'm I, I scaled the walls. I did scene. I, I I put it into bays. I got out red string. I did everything. I wrote down. I was like, "Where is it? I want to see this Easter egg." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I cannot be found. If someone can find it, tell me where it is. Take a photo of it on your screen and email it in. Yeah, because I need to. I've been hunting for it for years. Maybe we. That's something we can. I think it it's can a be, lie. It can I, be a quest for us. I think it's a lie, mate. As a team, as a unit, we can try and find it. Mm. With facts like that one and this one here, part of me is like, did someone just throw it in there and into the mixing bowl just for shits and gigs? Are they just like, oh, we did this thing. And you're like, no, you didn't. And they're like, well, yeah, we are. We made the film. We know what we did. It's hard to argue with it. Mm. Did you watch that documentary about people's interpretation of The Shining? 
It's like no, room but, something, room 218, room 237, two, is Something it? like that, yeah, room 237. Yeah. And uh, so you, you get it from different perspectives of people that have studied the film. So one guy says it's about Native Indians. And then it gets to this dude and he says, it's all about dicks. It's all about cock. Like he goes, look what? at this shot here. And he pauses it. And there's just, there's just something that's cylindrical or, or um, oblong shaped on the desk. And he says, look at how the character behind the desk is standing. That's in, that's implying his penis. I'm like, these people are finding shit that ain't even there. That's reaching, isn't it? I think it's reaching. Surely there, I mean, The Shining is a great film and Kubrick is a master storyteller and director. Surely a man of that talent, story so iconic as that, if there was any deeper hidden meanings, it would be more substantial than cock. Yes. It would have to be. Yes. I mean, I get the Native Indian aspect because they there's tobacco with Native Indians on it in the yeah. shot and stuff. But yeah, the dick one. But just talking about, like you were saying, like facts and stuff, facts that cannot be uh, confirmed. Mm. They can't, but they cannot be clarified. Yeah. I would love for you to give this film a watch at the hour, 11 minute and 10 second mark and see if you can see it. Okay. Maybe we'll do it after this because maybe you can see it. I really looked for it, man, and I couldn't find Let's it. Let's do it after. I was upset. Final fact, included among the 1001 movies you must see before you die, edited by Steven Schneider. Schneider! Really? Mm. Oh man, I didn't realise. I didn't even know that. I'm chuffed that it's included. That's great. Because for the listeners, Harry chose this film and I'd never even heard of it. I'd seen it when randomly sort of scrolling through Netflix. Didn't It, it was never a film that really appealed to me. Fair to say it's a cover that would you wouldn't get you excited. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I don't even think I ever read the synopsis. I just It was just something that my subconscious took in on Netflix and I just thought, always assumed oh, it was just another generic Netflix exclusive, so I never thought much of it. Mm. And like we said, Early Doors, like it is a film that's that's uniquely independent, so I'm glad it's included in, in such a prestigious list. I think so. What did you like about Under the Shadow? It's quite a big one, this. And sorry if it fluctuates between like and dislike, but it, this, they're all interconnected. I will sit back and absorb your thoughts. Just let me have a sip of this delicious Macapichu coffee. We aren't being paid to advertise. It'd be nice if we was. Okay, all right, mate, calm down. So biggest like is this is an important film and it's more important now than it has ever been. I love the allegory of a malevolent spirit haunting a mother and daughter during wartime and that neither of those equally horrific events are in fact the real enemy. Take away the ghosts and bombs and they are still a woman and a girl living in a society that oppresses women or beats them to death for not wearing a piece of cloth on their head. Cases in point, plural. Armita Garavand died 1st of October 2023, was a 17-year-old Iranian girl who was beaten on a train by morality police for not wearing a scarf on her head. Fell into a coma, died. Madness. Masha Amini, 16th September 2022. 22-year-old Iranian woman Masha Amini died in a hospital in Tehran. The Guidance Patrol Religious Morality Police of Iran's government arrested her for not wearing a hijab in accordance with government standards. Eyewitnesses, including women who were detained with Armini, reported that she was severely beaten and died as a result of police brutality. What sort of backwater little man syndrome cesspit of a place beats women girls to death because they haven't got a scarf on their head. I mean, it's a madness, pure and simple. I'm, I understand I'm long enough in the tooth to understand that humanity, we're all different cultures, all different beliefs and, and all of these things. I'm, I'm very liberal in that fact. I understand differing opinions, all of that stuff. But when it's as, as barbaric and as recent as that, in 2023, 2022, that shit's One was three months ago. Yeah, that is absolutely 
shocking. But why can you not believe it yourself? Why can you not just believe what you believe? Why do you have to impose it on people with violence? So I, I have no idea, man. It's a, it's just pure madness. My my brain can't comprehend like that. There there is no. It's just madness. It, it's just beyond sort of explaining it. I, I just will never understand that. And they, they actually have a police force, a police task force yeah. called the Morality Police. Yeah, yeah. Why, why don't they have a morality, morality police that says um, you shouldn't beat the shit out of young women because they don't have a That is meta. I love scarf. it. I love that. That's madness. That's, people are going around watching them because they're watching people. Yeah. And it just goes round in a vicious circle. That's a good point. Well made. Well, that's what, that's why I like the, that's the biggest reason I love the film. Yeah. Because it, I first saw it in 2016 Really enjoyed it. It scared me. It made me jump. I saw, you can see straight through that the bigger picture, the bigger message is that they live in a sort of a, a police state. Yeah. And women are second class citizens and treated as such. And that's why it's an important film because it came out in 2016 and it's still happening. Girls and women are being beaten to death by morality police because they haven't got their hair covered. What the fuck are you on? That is, it's madness. Let me hit you with a little fact. This, this, this is this is good. So on 2013's Iranian Mother's Day, the patrols rewarded women with flowers for wearing chador, the preferred hijab style. Dude, that, that's like me being in prison and my daughter visiting on Father's Day to say, you're so good at being a prisoner, Dad. Keep it up. One day you'll be the best prisoner. Uh, there, I, there, I can't argue with that. You go around saying, you've been great. You've yeah. been great covering your hair up and stuff. I don't even know if you want to be doing it, if you're happy to be doing yeah. it, but here's some flowers. Take that, prisoner. You're wearing the state-governed head material that we like here. Here's some flowers. Well, you're not wearing that. Right, me and my boys are going to kick the living shit yeah. out of you. Fucking madness. I knew you'd jive with that. I just, yeah, it's it's baffling, and I, I agree with your sentiment. It, it, it is an important film. And if you'll allow me, I'll snuggle down with a substantial like of mine. I've been keeping it warm. Yeah. Oh, come in. Oh, here I come. It's a horror with substance. Aye. It's been mentioned on this podcast before. I am a man of wuss. <laughs> I wouldn't say I hate horror, but it's certainly, it's not high on my preferred genre list. No. That being said, I do like it when a horror has something to say and under the shadow certainly sits in that category for me. This film speaks to the very real fact that if you don't control your fear, it will control you and highlights the true horror of how fear feeds on anxiety. I felt this was clever filmmaking from a director that had something important to say. Mm. Now, based on, on your first like that, that even that adds weight to my facts, because I completely agree. Mm. Like it, th there's loads of deep meaning in this one. And the decision to use an already horrific setting as this foundation to build horror on the undoubted deeper subtext and the smart symbolism and excellent plot device to make fear itself enter a home via a weapon was all really smart yeah food for thought that it, it did kind of fuck me up if i'm being honest it's a weird it is it made me feel weird watching yeah it, it scares me yeah i, I mean it uh, and Full disclosure, it does not take a lot to scare me. No. I'm easily scared. I'm the same. Like every beat of a horror film, if there's a jump scare, I'm going to shit myself. Mm. It's a given guarantee. But this one, it's it's so much more than a horror. It's political. It has something to say. And it, it does a really good job of putting you in an environment and in a, in a culture that feels so alien and foreign mm. to us, but must be so 
continuously terrifying for those people that are under its its sort of mm. ever watchful gaze, like you said. Like, it's like Big Brother. Isn't yes, it? it's mad. And certainly, what you saying all of that as as it may even bump up my score because you gave me a bit more perspective mm. on on a film I already feel quite highly towards. I think that um, Babak Anvari is a really brave director because he is Iranian born, mm. and the fact that he's taken this sort of film, given given a sort of stage for this sort of the treatment of women out there, I think that's really brave because you you remember in the news a few months, uh, maybe a two three years ago, I can't remember that um, Jamal Ahmad Khashoggi he was the he was a Saudi Arabian guy who was got murdered in the Turkish embassy by Saudi Arabian government, mm. murdered, um, mutilated, packed up, literally like a, a government kill because he had an opinion against the Saudi Arabian government. I mean, and this guy, um, Babak Anvari, has made a film sort of showing that it's wrong how you're treating women in the country that I'm born yeah. in. So it's really it's really dangerous in that neck of the woods to have opinions that go against the government. I think it, the the way he he sort of cleverly masks it as well because it uh, on the surface level it's about it's a horror, horror. it's yeah, a horror yeah. about a, a gin in your home mm. and it's about fear anxiety grief all of these things but you don't have to scratch for too long to realize right. what it's it's really saying it's good and use it's good use repression. of subtext yeah yeah fantastic really good use what else did you like about it what I just said actually uh, amazes me directors Iranian the subjects Iranian. And it's about haunting. Mm. You don't get more ballsy, really, than that. I think the, the the fact that the setting is so unique and new to everyone. Yeah. Like, you rarely see a horror film from a state like Iran. It would be like watching a horror film from North Korea. Yeah. A closed-down um, religious state, essentially. Yeah. Very difficult to get anything out of them countries. I know it wasn't filmed in Iran, but in, in essence, it is an Iranian film. Yeah, as an audience um, member, you're watching this and as far as you're concerned, it's all filmed, it's it's set in uh, Iran. Yeah. Well, the actors as well. I think, yeah. I'm quite sure um, Nargis Rashidi and uh, Avin Mashadi is, are both both yeah. Iranian or at least heritage Iranian. Well, I saw a um, film recently and it, it, based on what you've just said, maybe it's not actually filmed in Iran, but it's uh, Holy Spider and it was about an uh, Iranian serial killer. Oh, and uh, he targeted uh, female prostitutes. And oh, that could still be an Iranian film then, because if they look at, down at prostitutes like Devil Possessed, then it it promotes their uh, uh, promotes their agenda. Doesn't well, it? I think the film does a it treads that line between a lot of people sort of martyred. This guy it was like, well, he's doing he's doing God's work. He's he's, mm. he's killing people that have got low um, morals and and deserve to be killed. Spread disease and, and like he almost got away with it. As as like a a man on a righteous mission, mm -hmm. like a lot of people supported for him, supported him, and, and in the end, spoiler spoiler alert, they finally saw sense and executed him. Jesus. But it was it was fifty fifty. I mean, the film leads you to believe it was fifty fifty. I don't know the ins and outs and the and the true events. For large parts of the film, he could get away with it, which is just frightening. That's mad. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a. Uh filmed in Iran especially if, it, if it's still to do with morality and killing the yeah but I don't know I, I would have to see it sounds good Lou it's a good film sounds interesting it is though. a good film yeah any more likes <laughs> lots I mean I've, I've I've covered most of them I think it's mm. a really important film I love how it's in a in a setting you just don't ever envisage a horror film to be set mm. and I love how it weaves with real life events yeah. like the Iraqi Iran war the, 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 battle, the war of two cities or I think it was called mm. is a real event and then you've got this subtext for anxiety and worry 
Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're really down and really low and really unhappy, and the war will do that to you, it allows a door to open for the jinn to get in yeah. and haunt you. Mm. And then when they run from a scene of terror, she doesn't have a headscarf on, and the police pull her in. Exactly. And yeah. it's like fuck me. She, there's no like take away the ghost, take away the bombs. She's still fucked. Yeah. That's why I think it's excellent. Well, fear follows you. Yeah. So even in a in a safe space at home, she feels threatened. She can't go to a safe a place that's meant to be safe for everyone in a police station. Exactly. They should, they're not even listening to the horrible things that are happening to her amidst mm. a war. She, they're more focused on well, look, you have no shame. Your your head's not covered. Your Just arms uncovered. Keep it's like, that shit to yourself. Yeah. What are you doing? Keep that shit to There's, yourself. It doesn't matter if the the person in um, distress is male, female, or other. If they are in trouble and needs assistance it's your job as a policeman a man of authority to help them not look at what they're wearing or their beliefs are like leave that shit at the door you have a job to do do it i always wonder if it's because that religion in particular is one of the youngest religions that they're still quite far behind the times in terms of adapting to modern age like because you don't really get it anymore in like judaism or catholicism where you know we, we control women and we control how everything's conducted mm. from the church. We don't yeah. do, we separated church and state. So uh, Judaism's like 3,000 years old, Christianity's 2,000, Islam's 1,400 years old. Is it? So Christianity was like four, 500 years ahead of it. I had no idea. Oh, yeah. Started yeah. in the uh, 7th century. Muhammad was a, uh, he was a war, war leader. Mm. He, he basically spread Islam by the sword and he pro- self prophesied, made himself a prophet in the 6th century, mm. 7th century. So I always wonder, like, you think they're like four or five hundred years younger than Christianity. Mm. They're still in that stage of um, controlling and manipulating and literally having a hold over how you conduct your life. Yeah. Whereas they, and they, we had this in Christianity. We had the, what was the, uh, the Inquisition. Mm. You know, we used to burn women. If they lived, if they lived alone in the woods, we'd burn them as witches and stuff. Yeah. I do wonder if it's um, to do with that, to still be having such archaic practices. That's, a, that's an interesting question that I think it would take a lot more cultured and intelligent people to, to answer the question. I don't know. If you've got but, a nut between your fucking ears, it's quite simple. Well, yeah. I mean, basically, they're using Internet Explorer when the rest of the world's using Chrome or Ooh. Mozilla Firefox. It's like adapt and move on. Like that's barbaric. Barbaric. Like we've evolved as as a a species uh, as a whole. Surely you know that that is just madness. Treating people like that is mm. just well, it's abhorrent. It's disgusting. It's, it's just ridiculous. have the opinion. Maybe if you don't agree with the, the fact that that person doesn't have a headscarf on, you can just say to yourself, "I'm not going to associate myself with them." Because yeah. I disagree with it. I, I hold traditional values. Yeah. Um, it doesn't align with my thoughts and feelings. But do you know what I'm not going to do? Stone I'm not them. going to kick the shit out of them. No. It's madness. Yes. Yeah. It'd be like me walking in a Chelsea shirt, seeing an Arsenal fan and like beating him up. Which is a hooligan. It, it has so happened. You, We've passed. You see the point. You've yeah. applied hooliganism to that, to that um, analogy. Exactly. This is no different. Yeah. It's hooliganism. It's a pure... Unfiltered madness, mate. Yes. It is. Well, I've gone to what I liked about the film. Well, why don't you do that then? I am I'm going to. And it's a slow, effective build up of tension. I sneaked out horror early into this film, but <laughs> had no idea when, where, or how it was going to show its ugly face. Under the shadow puts an evil spin on the gin, or genie as it's known in the West. And I don't know about you, this intrigued me immediately. And the decision to de- depict it as something that feeds on fear rather than something that grants wishes was really interesting to me. Instead of being there to serve, this gin served itself by weaponizing worry and stress and feeding on it. And I love that 
under the shadow had lots of metaphor and meaning that simmered away under the surface rather than being thrown into your face. Now, isn't that just one of the most Western things you've ever heard? Taking a mythology and making it like friendly and and making it grant wishes rather than possess you and mm-hmm. like make your life a living hell. Yeah. Because my exposure to to genies or the jinn in Western culture has been, oh, there's these, these mythical dudes that live in a lamp. You rub it, they give you free wishes. You can't wish for more wishes. You can't yep. wish for people to bring wish to bring people back for the dead. Yeah. Now it's only through recent my recent evolution of of being a cinephile and a, t- a series consumer that I've learned more about it. And they touch on that in American Gods and the recent 3,000 Years of Longing. But I've got to my mid-30s before I realised that the sort of source material of a gin is evil, is yeah. is dodgy as fuck, dodgy yeah. gin. And for me, that fascinates me. They like, show that a little in The Witcher, don't they? Mm, they yes, he, they do, He yeah. captures a gin, and even in the subtitle, it's spelled similar to this, D-J-I-N-N. And it's a it's a ominous gin, but it will grant wishes, but it still it can possess you and make you. So it sort of found a blend between the world yeah. of Aladdin and this sort of Arabian myth, yeah, which is really cool, like a mongrel of mythology. Oh, behind fifty seven of baked beans. Oh, dad. Um, last thing I liked about it, it was just a pure pleasant surprise. Like I touched on earlier, I knew absolutely nothing about this before going in. I didn't even look it up on IMDb or watch a trailer, which is a rare thing for me. Man weren't inspired. Yeah, well, no, I just, I thought I have gone this long without knowing anything about it. I'm going to go in blind. Nice. Because sometimes, sometimes that's a nice little surprise. Stevie wondered it. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think going in blind enhanced my experience. While parts of it genuinely made me jolt on my sofa, I love it when a film takes you on an unexpected journey. And like you said, the way the film weaves belief and fantasy with the sickening horror of real life really took me somewhere where I wasn't necessarily expecting to go. Mm. And in a time where everything is on streaming services, everyone's got an Instagram page or a podcast or has their opinion out there, it's quite a rare thing to unearth a film that you know zilch about mm. and that and i it sort of encouraged me to do that with a few more films i think just go in like the good old days where like you've said before on the podcast you're going to hmv pick up a case five star total film four or five, five yeah, yeah empire i'm gonna give this dog a walk always and you do it always i'm gonna try and do that a bit more so in future if you are choosing an episode and i've not heard anything about it i'm gonna leave it like that and then just go in blind that's cool yeah i'm down with that dog what didn't you like about Under the Shadow? Reprimanding your kid for wetting the bed. Yeah. I had a I had a nervous bladder until the age of about 11. You were 26, mate. Yeah. And it's it's sad, man. Mm. It's sad to uh it's sad to not know why you you wet the bed at that age and when parents like berate you or say you're a big girl now. Well, I'm sorry that I was asleep and my brain said we. I I'm not in control of that. Yeah. Don't berate your kid for wetting the bed. She lives in a fucking war zone. That's the least of her problems if she's a bit pissy panty at night. There's it's bigger not things. something you can control. The, outside of not drinking a pint of water before you go to bed and going for a wee before you go to bed, if you wet yourself, you can't be reprimanded for that. And she's a child. If it was me and you after 15 pints of Guinness mm. stumbled into bed pissed or shat the bed then you reprimand the individual yep. because you're a fully grown person you had too much to drink and now look at the mess you've made exactly that's understandable yeah yeah i, I, I don't think that she should have been punished for that it's, it's a bit, a bit harsh. raw isn't it yeah it's a bit cold there's a lot going on there's a lot going on yeah any mores for me 
Yeah, ropey footage of the bomb being removed from the building wasn't necessary for the shot. Like, uh, it didn't progress the story. And if you can't capture it believably, then leave it out. Yeah, in a film that just does... show the crane entering this sort of road, and you're, yeah. and you're, I'll, I'll take, I'll take it that you're implying that you've removed the bomb. But when you see the bomb, it's like a, it's like, it's like a late '90s sort of graphic, not mm. graphic, but like the the quality of it doesn't look tangible, isn't it? like you can touch it, and the crane sort of moves it out of the building. I thought you don't need to show that. Yeah, it's quite a personal film. It's close shot. It doesn't need the wide. It doesn't need a shot showing the, the removal of a bomb. Cause it's sort of. Um, yeah, it just cheapened the the look of the film a little. Yeah, I think in a film where it's it, there's so much deeper meaning, so much subtext, so much going on, it, it's talking so much more than just the the threat that's the obvious in your face, possess possessing beastie in your home. Mm. Like that could be suggested and be enough. I, I totally see what you're saying. It does look a bit ropey. It probably it's probably a case of finance, isn't it? Didn't have the budget yeah. for it. it. It didn't look great. It didn't add anything to the film. Just as a director, I would have been like, this doesn't progress the story. You don't necessarily need it, no. No, no, no. It had no. It didn't had. It had no sway on the plot or narrative. It didn't need to be seen, and yeah. because it was, you're, you've broke all of a sudden. You've broke the aesthetic of what we've been seeing so far up until that point. Yeah, I wouldn't. I personally would have left it out. And even the the sort of parts that are meant to make you feel scared, they're not done. They're not huge CGI pieces, are they? I, not, I like them bits. I, yeah. I, I think there's a, there's an excellent scene. It's in the trailer if you ever watch the trailer. But excellent scene where the mum exits the front door of the house, pops up a few stairs, and when she turns around, there's this like bed sheet floating yeah. in the corner, and yeah. it bursts into yeah. the house and closes the door. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, I I mean that's that's the point I'm making. Like they managed to do yeah, the, the, the scares seemingly on a relatively small budget. You look at other like big Hollywood horror productions, there's a lot that goes into the making for the scares. Mm. In a world where it, it. seems they, that they are making successful scares with a smaller budget, like keep that sort of trajectory going for that scene you're talking about. Yeah. Like less is more. Like you said that, you, you opened my eyes to that in horror. Mm. Less is always more in horror. And when the jumps and the scares happen in this film... They are very impactful, but they're not huge in terms of production value. And mm. I think that scene you're talking about, it is pretty, yeah, it's distracting, isn't it? The yeah. way it looks, yeah. Not needed. Not needed. And what what the hell's the um, the huge mouth under the bed? I, d I don't know. Please don't. But it's so odd. Yeah. Like... You, obviously, if you give you, if you put a Reagan face in front of someone or a Freddy face, it's it's all scarred and fucked, and it's like it's trying to scare you. When you put like a, almost like a you know the sweet you can get of lips and teeth, yeah, 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 like it's a chewy sweet, yeah, isn't yeah, it? yeah. It's like almost caricature, and that makes it disturbing. I think it's like the gin's almost so for context in the film, she's going through it at this point. The gin's fully um, the gin's itself. gone and got it, yeah, and she's gone, in the middle it, of that, and getting. she's being get, and she goes under the bed, and there's just this huge gob with massive gnashes and it's almost like smiling at her and it's for me it's like it's taunting her it's like i'm here now you know i'm here and it was using her daughter's voice yeah. to lure the mum out from the basement so the so the thing she hits in the basement is just her daughter yeah yeah mum don't go punch yeah um i'm ignoring the fact that you're here in physical being i hear your voice from a gin upstairs i'm going to go and pursue that yeah though that, that fucked me up have you a seen them have you seen that? No, I guess Rashidi and anything else. She's really good. She's in a. I've only seen her in um, Gangs of London. I haven't seen her in anything else. And she's a badass, like gangster boss 
but like forced to be a gangster because of like her family being gangsters. I will have to watch that. Yeah, she's great in it. She is really good. She's uh, a lot of uh, her character has to do with like the lead played by Joe Cole and their their chemistry and her herself in it. She's brilliant. Joe Cole. Yeah. Fella from Peaky Blinders. Yes, the younger brother, youngest brother. Yeah, yeah. I know you mean. Yeah. That's a call. It's definitely worth uh, seeking out. She's tremendous in it. It's a good series. Yeah. Got any more dislikes for me? No, man. Yeah. No, I, th- I think I've covered it all. I'll go on to mine and the, the main one being jump scares. I mm. just don't like being made to jump, man. Mm. The first one was from a fucking toaster popping out toast and I nearly threw red wine all over myself. <laughs> I don't react well to physically jumping out of fear and it's a sensation I don't think I will ever enjoy or come to terms with. Now, I know people get great kicks out of it. It's like roller roller coasters. I don't, I don't mind a roller coaster, but when I'm on there, I'm always thinking, why am I here? What? Why am I doing this? Mm. I don't like to be scared. So it doesn't matter how many, more, how many times I sort of put myself through a horror film. When it's happening, I fucking hate it. The, the tension. I'm an anxious man as it is. So when I'm in a horror film and I'm waiting to be scared, I just don't do very well. What's would you say this one's high up there for how much it made you jump, or have you seen ones that have made you really like pound for pound, like every three minutes? I'll tell you, Dad, the mm. one film that mm. made me shit pants before Ibs came into play. Mm. Enemy, Enemy by Jake Gyllenhaal. It's not a horror. It's not mm. a horror. But sort of fear in this film enemy by denny villeneuve villeneuve is shown by a spider uncertainty is shown by a spider and the film starts and there's a tarantula so already i'm like this film's a two oh, no. but throughout the film the spider gets bigger because the the danger the threat the fear it's it's sort of metaphorical metaphorical it gets bigger and bigger and later on in the film it's like this huge spider in the distance on buildings the last shot of the film I have never, talking of roller coasters, I screamed like I was fucking on one. God. Door opens and this room, imagine this room, I'm going to be sick. Imagine <laughs> this Imagine this room was full of one great big fucking spider. Oh, so it's like contorted itself to fit. Yeah. And this door opens right at the end. And as it opens, you ju- you're just greeted with a fucking room filling tarantula thing. I was watching it with my brother and I fucking screamed. That's the not house literal down. though. It's that it's it's speaking to something, the spider. It's, yes, it's, it's like, metaphorical. It's it's like yeah. it's like you can't you can't ignore the bad thing I've you've never done. Heard this film. That's Dennis Villeneuve. Yeah, enemy. Watch it. I can't ever watch it. Post incendies or pre? Uh post. Post, post, post. Yeah, And is it yeah. pre uh, pre Blade Runner? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's it's in that I think it was before or during the time he made Prisoners, so it's where the, oh, the like sort prisoners. of American producers and distribution companies are like this is a director with talent, and yes. they gave him a bigger scope, and he's been going on, and now he's obviously doing June, but that that was a film that wasn't necessarily a horror, but that Enemy. fucked me up, oh, mate. The other one, uh, Sinister. I mean, I want to watch Hereditary, Conjuring. but I know how fucking terrifying people find that find that film, and I know it's one that you don't necessarily think is that scary. No, I um, I don't think it's you should treat it with the same fear that you say would treat Exorcist mm. or something. Yeah. I don't think it says it's Ari Aster, isn't it? Yeah. So if you watched Midsummer and stuff, yeah, it's a cult. It's culty, so it's not like it's devil worship, but, yeah. it's, I, but it's not necessarily devil. I think, as we said on this podcast before, or I've said, spiders and possession, man, they're my two red flags. I can't, I can't deal with it. So, 
anything with possession like this film's got a lot of possession about it and enemy which is about a fucking room full room filling spider yeah yeah not not comfortable i actually feel uncomfortable even talking about it you love it second thing i didn't like about the film was danger waited for daddy doctor to leave i may not be the right person to offer this up as a conversation starter as i'm far from being a horror expert but the way the film waits for daddy to leave before it gets dark feels like it's done too much in horror doesn't the gin arrive by the bomb yeah so the daddy left and then the bomb landed. Yeah, but for me, it feels like it's like the director thought to make it more frightening, the stereotypical strong male had to leave the vulnerable woman and child at home on their own. Now, I put it to ye. Mm. I put it to ye mm. that it would have been even more scary if all three of them had to stay and deal with a dodgy gin as a family because they had nowhere else to go. But saying that, mm. I do, I will yield based on what you said about the film being about how women are treated as second-rate citizens. She needs to be so to resolve it on her own. She had to, as an audience member, not from that culture, has to see like the fear and the terror it would be to live in a state that reprimands women for not abiding by yeah. these very strict rules. So I do get what you said. Mm. But from watching it, I was like, I'd, I'd, instead of like daddy going away and this woman being perceived as gone mad because of all the stress and stuff she's under. If they all went through it as a family, that would be equally terrifying. It would, but I don't think... Like, it's very similar to Babadook, because it's the mum and the child. You don't have the ma- you don't have that the masculine way of, say, trying to resolve it, like getting a baseball bat. Yeah. Like a man would just... His first instinct would be, oh, I'm going to grab a baseball bat. I'm Whereas a woman's thinking four steps ahead and thinks, this is not a fucking human being yeah a baseball bat's going to not even tick i would if i if i if i thought this house was haunted and i woke up and i could hear something horrific like going on in the living room and like say partners next to me and they're like what the hell is that i would reach for a baseball bat not let's say i know it's a ghost i think having having it just the mum and the daughter makes it a lot easier to track the story. I think the dad would have overcrowded the yeah, scene. Yeah. I feel like having them two there, it's scary because the daughter keeps jumping in and out of almost like, she's got a fever. So there's always a, there's always like a worldly explanation to what's going on in the film and mm. a ghostly sort of explanation. The girl, you could say by all means is, is possessed, but you could also say she's got high fever, highly stressed, can't get better because they live in a war zone, which is highly yeah, stressful. Yeah. I mean, you, you see it every day in the news at the moment, what's going on in Gaza and Israel, so what it can do to young kids. So everything can be interpreted in this film as yeah. ha- uh, hallucinogen yes. through exhaustion. It's true, yeah. Or, so I don't know. I like it that Dad's not in it. Yeah, I mean, f- for me, and again, this is a, a, a someone that considers themselves like a base-level horror fan, not even a horror fan, just base-level horror knowledge. Mm. And it feels like I've the horror films that I've seen, they, it's always feels like the stereotypical strong male is sent off somewhere or killed off early or dealt with early. and then Killed it's off always, early happens a lot. And then it's always more vulnerable um, people mm. left or what, what are perceived to be more vulnerable people left in terms mm. of stature, physicality and stuff like that. From what I've seen, that's quite a common trope in, in the horrors that I've experienced. Mm. And for me, it's like, well... I guess my argument is well because it arrives only when he leaves exactly like like he was a threat yeah like which is not of just course bollocks. if he was there he's not going to stop a possessing gin from doing all the shit it does no. like you said there's nothing he would have done and I think that's my, what my sort of immediate problem was with it it's like why did they have to ship him off but saying that I, I as I said I do yield because of what you said about the the sort of deeper me- meaning about gender in in that sort of part of the world and stuff so yeah it's just a little little dislike that I thought I'd share
My yeah. final one is 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 much more of a, a very real dislike. Big bed mouth, running naked man, and shifty sinister sheet float. I mean, you did it. Yeah, you did it, mate. Yeah. Under the beds, there was just a fucking massive mouth that made me want to look under my own bed in a hoodie. Yeah, I did it. I did look under my own bed. Imagine that, 36 years of age, looking under a bed for a huge mouth because of something that was in a film. Mm-hmm. The running naked man that dove into the ceiling reminded me of the greased up deaf guy from Family Guy. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't ever going to catch me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, couldn't help but see yeah. that and that frightened me. And the floating sheet made me remove my dressing gown that hangs on the back of my bedroom door. Oh, All true. I didn't like the floating yeah. sheet. Under the shadow reminded me how uncomfortable horror makes me and I dislike how affected I get by these type of films. Mm. And I've said it before, I say again, it don't take much. I reckon you should, for the fans and for everyone else, watch The Haunting of Hill House. 100p, mate. The director... Series. Yeah, it's a series. It's anthological. So there's, they've done a few series. The first one's the only one worth watching, in my opinion. I don't, mm. I don't rate Fall of Usher or the other one, Bly Manor. But the first one, Pound for Pound, is... It's terrifying, and the director inserted ghosts all throughout the shots, but hid them in a way where only a keen eye would see them. And when you see them, and you realise the director c- can continue the story, it doesn't matter whether you see it or not. And when you see them, it, you feel like you've been haunted. Oh, I don't. Even that makes me a little bit unsteady. Yeah. Really scary. I mean, for the for the purpose of the podcast, I, I will watch films that I wouldn't necessarily watch. And that's certainly been the case with, I'd say in the last couple of years, I've watched more horrors than I've ever watched. So I, I am more mm. open to watching them. There was a time, and I'm not talking even too long ago, where I wouldn't even, if it said horror, I'd be like, nope, nope, mm. nope, 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 not watching Strange though, because you do like films like Dogtooth and Lamb, which you could say are horrors. Yeah, but... I think it's deep rooted in being raised as a Catholic and having a whole sort of organisation telling you how shit you are and like how the devil is real when you can be possessed and all that, hearing that shit every Sunday for a very young age. Whereas if it's very human, like fucked up thrillers, that's I, I love that. But when it's paranormal, anything paranormal, I'm like, ah. So that means you believe? Um, to fear it, you must believe. No comment. I'll, I'll get it out of you one day. I've got some questions. You can believe. I don't care. It's funny. I've got some questions. It's funny. It's funny. <laughs> your faith is funny to me. Yeah, of course. Questions? Yeah. What is your favourite horror film that actually has something to say rather than be cre- rather than being created purely for scare's sake? Cunt can't even talk. I'm joking. <laughs> Ask it again. What is your favourite horror film that actually has something to say rather than being created purely for scare's sake? Tumbad. Oh, hello, good sir. And I'll tell you what for. Because in Tumbad, not, let's not talk about the, uh, the exposition or anything. What's important in Tumbad is the guy wants to be rich, he wants to be successful. And he finds a, like a glitch in this sort of mythology where he can obtain these gold coins. Mm. And... Basically, if you make this like dough, this bread, this little bit of loaf or it's like a sweet Indian bread thing. Mm. He crawls into this old temple and when you put it down, this creature comes out to eat it. And as it has its back turned to eat one one bit of bread, he can grab this one coin that this creature protects. Mm. And then towards the end of his career, he says to his son, like, we're going to go and do this, but we're going to try and get as many coins as we can. So they make about 10 or 12, 15 loaves of these bread. 
And it's such an excellent part of the film because it's to do with greed, the story, you know, how far will you go for the money and how much of yourself will you lose in yeah, the journey to get the money? Okay. When they put all these loaves out, mm. that one creature multiplies into 12 creatures. Uh, he fought one loaf of bread. Mm. I get one coin, 12 loaves of bread. That creature's going to be busy for 12 loaves of bread. And yeah, I'll get yeah. 12 coins, 12 fuckers multiply. And, it's and like, the problem escalates because the greed... The greed overtook him. Instead of being grateful for what he managed to get and has, mm. he wanted to push for more. Yeah. He tried well, he tried to manipulate the situation to best serve himself. Yeah. For greed. I like that. And also. you see a distortion of his character from being a little boy up until uh, an old man. Mm. But yeah, I found that excellent when I was watching that because you didn't see I didn't see it coming. And mm. when he puts these bread cookies or whatever they are it's been years since i've seen it so i might be even having the numbers wrong but when you see that this creature multiplies because he's put more than one out it was just an excellent little twist it was like oh shit he's effed up because now he's in there much harder to get out yeah so uh yeah oh yeah i loved tumbad for that reason that's a great fucking answer i think horror films man if they're um for me personally when they're foreign they're just so much more like I'm more invested. Maybe, yeah. And they could be really shit at acting or, or delivering their lines, but I don't know because it's in a foreign language. It's exactly that because it's it's so far removed what you from your own experience. Mm. Like you don't speak the mother tongue. You, do, you don't know the culture that they're representing all of this. You can watch it, I think, with more accepting eyes. Whereas yes. if, it's, it's, if it's set in England or the US or, or anywhere like that, you're going to be watching it and go, well... Well, you know that's, if it's bad. Yeah, that's, that's awful. Like, you, you, I'm not buying that you're scared there. Like, your reaction is ridiculous. Like, mm. it's, it's hard to look past that. Remember the big Japanese horror ones? Like, The Grudge and The Ring, the, the originals. Ringu. Yeah, I've not they touched good, any man. of them. Yeah, apparently they're, Terrifying. they're incredible. Yeah. I mean, my answer for that question is, is two films that we've covered on this podcast. And oh. I think it stems from sort of finally going over it mm. for the for, for what we do here and that's get out and the whale both of them i've i've watched before doing the podcast episode on them and then exploring it for the podcast sake i reckon both... you'd have trouble selling them as horrors i don't mm. no get okay. out i suppose is because it's horrific i think the whale is the one that people go like how is that a horror but i think it is a horror because we are all a, a huge grief personal grief away from ending up like charlie does in that film and it might not be you might not end up the size of charlie you might become addicted to alcohol smoking drugs mm. sleeping tablets anything yeah. like we're all we're all a grievance away from that potentially happening and i think that's more scary than anything you can make up it put me off pizza for for I'm not lying to you, I'd enjoy a pizza maybe once every two or three weeks. Yeah, yeah. It was just on Tuesdays or something, two for Tuesdays. Very busy. I thought I'd get pizzas in and stuff. I watched this film. Took me so long to watch this film. Took me like four hours because I had to keep pausing because I felt really sick watching it. And if a film can do you that, off yeah. of pizza, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, because I fucking love pizza, bro. And if if you are a fan of uh, turtles. And you, when they eat pizza and that, you go, oh, I'm going to get pizza. Yeah, you do. And you can't anymore no. because you've watched Charlie and the whale and that sack of skin on his back that turned brown over winter. <laughs> and lest we forget, man puts blackcurrant jam ponder pizza. Pon <laughs> ponder pizza. <laughs> and that is unforgivable and terrifying. Oh, do you know what? I appreciated it when he put packed ham though, on his pizza because I've done that. Sometimes I've, not... I've double loaded a pizza before. I've gone, that topping's not good enough. Yeah. And then I've gone and put ham and cheese on yeah, that yeah. and doubled that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's just intelligence, mate. That's all that is. Yeah. That's 
downright smart. Okay, that's cool. I mean, they're unique. Maybe you need a bit more exposure to some some more uh, mainstream horror. Yeah. But I think they've got deeper meanings. Smart answers. Thanks. Smart answers. Under the Shadow uses uncertainty, anxiety and grief as the main ingredients of fear-mongering. Is real life and these very real, very human emotions and problems more terrifying than anything we can make up from our imaginations? Yes, of course. Yep. 100%. Easy question, easy answer. Easy. I've always said, do you know what? If I saw a ghost, I'd be excited because it it would mean that nothing matters anymore. Mm. Taxes don't matter. If I saw an alien, I'd feel the same. Mm. The truth is we're stuck with just actually reality, which is so much worse. I'd rather be haunted... Then be taxed another another pound by a conservative government. Oh shit! And don't ever be political, Harry. Ever. A little bit. Yeah, you just little. showed a, an angle. Any government, fuck political. That. Yeah, of course. It's only a little flirtation with po- political. That's okay. Our imaginations. That's an escape. Give me a ghost story any day. I think yeah. reality is a lot worse. Reality is fucking terrifying. Grims. What is your favourite on-screen depiction of a gin or a genie? <sighs> Not really. Not a genie guy. No, no, not a genie dude. Done it for me. No, well, just to just to give you an answer, I'll just go with the original animated Aladdin. I won't even give the bloody Will Smith one the time of day. I hate all that um, live action remakes of animations. Yeah, it's not great. They all suck. It's not great. Dum- was it Dumbo, Cinderella, like, Lion off. King? Oh, fuck off! Little Mermaid. Yeah, They've just done just, it to all of them. It's just, and they're all shit. The Tom Hanks Pinocchio one was turd on a sandwich. Mm. It was crap. Yeah, it was. I don't. I can't stand them. I, I didn't mind. It was very short, but there was a there was a depiction of a gin in uh, The Witcher, mm. which you know I enjoyed The Witcher for season one, uh, two really started to falter, and three is some of the worst television you will ever see, Can I get ever it? watch. I'm joking. Oh, you fuck. <laughs> Just for the listener, <laughs> Harry gave me... I'm still going to look. Harry gave me some eyes like there was something <laughs> spider-like behind me and I bought it. There is a huge web, uh, web up near the um, St. Patrick's Day Guinness hat. Right. Huge web. Let's wrap up then. Hmm. Uh, my favourite on-screen gins and genies is A Thousand Years of Longing and American Gods, both because they're, they're painted in a different sort of... slightly different frame to... My first exposure to the genie, which was Robin Williams and Genie. Mm. Is that Till Twin and Idris L? Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, now it's sort of popped up more in more things I've watched. And certainly after watching Under the Shadow, it's certainly something that I'd be interested in, in seeing a bit more of. Mm. So, yeah, they'd, they'd be my answers. Like what would you rate Under the Shadow out of 10? Eight out of 10. Okay. Yes. I'm just doing some maths. It's yeah, not my that. strongest point. Oh, that's because you've point five or saying. I have point five. You yeah. knew you'd point five. I point five based on your um, heartfelt first light. I mean, that's amazing. If I can pull a point four, if I can add a point five to you, yeah, exceptional. So I full disclosure, I did have it at a seven, mm. and then when you spoke that's about good. it, when you spoke about it, I was like, you know what? I think I like this more than that. Yeah. And so yeah, I would go with a seven point five. That's, that's good. That is I thought you'd. I've honestly thought you would have given the film a six with positives. Yeah. I thought you'd have been like, I enjoyed it, but it's a six. I mean, again, horror is not my forte, and if I can give a horror film a seven point five, maybe that means I'm growing as an individual, and we love to see that here. Yes, that gives Under the Shadow a total score of fifteen point five out of twenty. If you like your horrors to be harrowing, historically accurate, and honestly kind of fucking horrible. Or if you've ever wanted to see a genuinely dastardly gin do dodgy dementor drifting whilst dishing out disturbing danger dreams. How did you do that? Then Under the Shadow could be a film for you. How did you do that? What? 
That was mad. Did you like All it? All them D's and J's. Yeah. I am a DJ. That's crazy. I almost had a seizure. Under the Shadow is available to stream on Netflix. Consider watching this one if you enjoyed Holy Spider, 3,000 Years of Longing and He's House. Should we play a game? Yes. Give it a name, give it a name, give it a name now. We both a plot and then make a trailer. What the plot? Action. Me this week. Yeah? Yeah. Me this week. All right. I'm going to start with a, uh, a real quote. Ooh. A real life quote. I would absolutely love to make a movie about a stutterer. Actress Emily Blunt has told the BBC. You get that? Yeah. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I want to do a film about Emily Blunt wanting to do a film about someone with a stutter. Very like being John Malkovich, if you will. Okay. So the film is her wanting to raise the funds and awareness to do a film about someone that stutters. Okay. You get you sort of you see where I'm coming from? I feel yeah. I feel as I do. Like I I read this story and I thought it was uh I thought it was funny. Not funny like to rip on people with a stutter. I just I found it funny that she's telling the world that she wants to do a film about someone who's got a stutter. And I thought, well, the story that we all know currently is that she wants to do a film about someone who's got a stutter. So we should do a film about her wanting to do someone that's got a stutter. Yeah. So it wouldn't be a documentary because she wouldn't be like a floating head saying, oh, this is Gavin. He's got a stutter. He's well, she had a stutter. So she would be directing... Or starring as someone with a stutter? She's starring... No, she's Emily Blunt in a film. Okay. About Emily Blunt wanting to get the funds together to do a film about someone with a stutter. So it's meta in a way like JCVD is, like Jean-Claude Van Damme film, where he's playing Jean-Claude Van, Van Damme yeah. in going into a bank getting put up for robbery. Okay. It's John Malkovich titled the film, let's say, that's Spike Jones, isn't it? Yeah, being John Malkovich. John Malkovich. Being John Malkovich is the name of the actor, being John Malkovich. So, and it would be also like the unbearable weight of massive talent. It's about Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. Yes. But this would be Emily Blunt playing someone who has, it would be the story of her playing someone who has a stutter. No, it's the story of her trying to get a film on its feet about, about, about so someone who's got a stutter. It's like stutter awareness. Well, yeah, but like sometimes it's like when you when you watch a film like Mank, it's it, Mank is about the guy who wrote the Citizen Kane, yeah, which is revered the world over as probably one of the greatest films of all time. Okay, and it's about Mank. It's about Mankiewicz who wrote it. Yeah, so it's that's in the grand scheme of things, that's the lesser story of Citizen Kane. Yeah, this is Emily Blunt wanting to do a film. About someone with a stutter. Uh, there's a few other things she mentioned in the BBC article. She okay. put, the emotional trauma of living with the inability to speak will limit you in ways that are, for someone who speaks fluently, pretty unimaginable. So it is a it is a a deeply layered film as well. So it, mm. you that certainly that is a story that deserves telling. Like struggling to find your voice, not being heard. And in a world where content needs to be so easy to digest and quick and fast, it would be hard to maybe in this landscape get the rights to make a film like that because it's got it's serious subject matter. You well, can't you can't mock something like that. Really, well, people do. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that people shouldn't. We're so far 
in society and civilization where you should not really be making fun of people in with speech impediments like in the 80s or 90s you'd see that that be rife in comedy films mm-hmm. it's adam sandler's bread and butter for fucking decades well it's weird you say it because she did she went on to say so so as long as we can keep uh destigmatizing it then there won't be so much shame it can just be more acceptable because i think it is one trait that is easily uh bullied still now i don't i have only ever felt Sorry for people that have speech impediments. We we have a joint friend at a pub who has a lisp, don't we? Uh, and it's a very um, it's yeah. a very severe it's severe lisp. And do you know what? Before we knew this guy, he would stare at us, and our first reaction, being being male gorillas, but both actually being betas and trying to pretend that we're alphas, was like, why is he staring at us? Yeah. And then there was just this one interaction once where I said, hello, mate. And he went, oh, how are you doing? You all right? Uh, And he's, I could tell then that's why he stares. Like he doesn't know how to approach people, how to talk to people. And it's it's crippling for him. But do you know what? When you sit and you just listen to the guy, talk to him. Yeah. His speech impediment gets better. When he's more, I've noticed that gets he, more he's, he's a regular at our yeah. local pub and we have a chat with him. First few times I spoke to him, I, I, I re, it was a real struggle. Mm. And, and it's, I, I can't imagine that. I, I know what it's like to be an anxious person and struggle to meet new people and speak with new people and socialise, all those things. I understand that. Mm. But I can get my words out. I can get my point across. Mm. To be restricted where, imagine like speaking to someone and you can see them like, you can register that they can't hear what you're saying. Or you can register yeah. that maybe they're getting impatient. But talking to elderly over. people. Yeah. And it, it's it's exhausting for the person who's trying to understand if they can't. It's mm. not their fault if they can't understand. But equally, it's the person. It's not the person's fault that has the stutter. And that must be exhausting for them having to repeat themselves it so is. many times. Like, I think that's an important, it's an important subject matter for sure. It is, but with me particularly on this one, I want I wanted to see exactly the process that Emily Blunt would have to go through to get a film off its feet. Yeah, and then towards the end, I'd say all you'd see was action. It's the first scene, and she starts, and then it goes to black. Yeah, so it's the journey of putting a film on its feet. Emily Blunt playing herself. Yeah, about getting a film off off the ground that's about someone who suffers with stuttering. So I I like that. Um... Mace. Is it meta? It is meta. It's meta, isn't it? Yeah. And when you uh, when you first started this idea, the, the being John Malkovich came into my head immediately, and then you shortly said, "Being John Malkovich." So, that, like, it's that sort of film, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's. I mean, being John Malkovich is a lot more surreal and and like artistic. It's is a lot of creative license. Yeah. Then you know, it's about it's about going into this small cupboard and entering the psyche and yes. vision of um, being John Malkovich. Mm. Whereas this one, we're actually seeing Emily Blunt as Emily Blunt, which well, trying actually, she to, struggled from it. Yeah, trying to um, get a picture made, and you could see mm. her. Uh, in a world where representation is key, you could see her speaking to actors and actresses or people that want to get into the into cre- uh, creating stuff mm. with genuine um, speech impediments and stutters. You could see them being interviewed and he- hearing their perspective through the gaze of Emily Blunt. Mm. So I like that. It's it's uh, shines a light on the difficulties of it and the process of making being. You know, we 
see actors and actresses and directors and producers speaking about how difficult it is to get their film made and it's hard to sympathise with it because you're like, well, you're mm. still getting tens of millions to try and get this done. I'd love that opportunity. Amazing you bring that up because a couple of times now you've said the thing that relates to some of the quotes that she's made. So that's really interesting. She put, certain environments will still create a struggle for me. If someone asks me to pitch them anything, mm. it's a nightmare. Yeah. So again, it's not... It's not just some rich mogul wanting to get a film made. Yeah. If you actually struggle to pitch an idea to people and your stutter comes back because you're nervous about pitching an idea. Yeah. So I, th I think it's and very... I'm pitching an idea to you now. Yeah. It's meta on every level. It's like a a croissant of meta layers because a croissant's got like 16 layers. So or many. It's ridiculous. That's why it tastes yeah. so good. Because there's, there's thought, there's layers in it. And mm. this is a very layered, thoughtful croissant of a film. Mmm. But yeah, I like the idea. I mean, you've helped me with the casting because Emily Blunt obviously plays herself. No. She does. I was going to go with Elizabeth Banks. Really? Of course Directing not. and starring Elizabeth not. Banks as Emily Blunt playing Emily Blunt. Yes. <laughs> that gets, <laughs> that's a murky croissant. Don't go there. Yeah, no. You're bordering on the insane then. So I, I really like that because it's, it speaks about um, finding a voice, even how it can be difficult for superstars to find a voice if it's not in the sort of zeitgeist of what's popular and the subject matter that people is current and interesting now, it's going to be hard to get made. So it'd be interesting to see her... In a, in a film environment, pursue a story that is not represented all too often. Mm. I mean, you know, you've got uh, th ones I can think of at the top of my head, The King's Speech with Colin Firth. Yes. Um, I, can't, I don't know if I can oh, yeah. think of anymore. What's she going on about? Well, I mean, the, but I can it think exists. of... I think of one film. Yeah, but there's films that sort of are in that ballpark. Like yeah. My Left Foot and Shine. Mm. They're films where... Uh, I don't know if you call it disabilities or ailments have stuttered your career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't intentional. That was, that was yeah, not intentional. It works. It's good. So, yeah, um, I, I do like this as this as an idea. It would be a straight up drama film. I think it'd be important. There could be um, moments of, of well-intentioned, genuine humour in it. But I think it's important that it's not labelled as a comedy because you're not laughing at this, trying to get this story made. You're yeah. not. No. You're not. Who's going to um, play Emily Blunt's husband? Who would you cast for that? I have, didn't know I was casting Emily Blunt's husband, but you know You don't me, have to. Uh, I, I immediately would go to her real husband in real life because I'm a simple, simple pure boy. But I wouldn't smart. do that. But I wouldn't do that. Very smart. Oh, oh no, but so if now she is... No, no, we are. But it is Emily because Blunt. Because if it's pl Emily Blunt playing her herself, it would have to be John Krasinski. But in the film, it could be someone else. No, it'd have to be. Because they, they're going, if I'm no, watching no, but, a film that's Emily Blunt playing Emily Blunt, her husband would have to be her real husband for but, me but to be met. Is Emily her. Blunt casted within the film as the lead of the stutter film? Or is she just the one trying to get it off its feet? Is she going to self-star in the film she's trying to put forward? So her and John Krasinski could be talking in their kitchen about how far they've got in getting production to sign on, get it funded. And then when they go onto the set, it's two people that aren't even them acting it out. So that is... Wait, she doesn't even have a stutter anymore, so it can't be about her. It would be her when she was little. So it's a biopic now. I don't know. Well, I've gone with <laughs> the film's narrative is about Emily Blunt playing Emily Blunt trying to get a film made about someone with a stutter. And so she maybe, had a stutter. Yeah, and so maybe in the film they find, she finds... Within the narrative, this made-up structure of the film, she finds someone with an actual stutter to play her in a film, but that's the story's, the film's story, yes. if that makes sense. Of course. Now, I, I 
thought long and hard about a director, but as soon as I heard about this being meta, it's, I just couldn't look past Spike Jones from <laughs> being John Malkovich. Like I, I really tried to push past, and he did her as well, didn't he? Yeah, you said that's. Uh, oh, is that uh, Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah, and that's yes. a very. It's, while it's not meta, it's a very self-aware film about how where um, artificial intelligence is going and our dependence on uh, technology. So I think he's got it in him to make a very serious um, film that sort of tries to find the right balance on a sensitive subject matter. So I'd have Spike Jones starring. I'd have Emily Blunt playing Emily Blunt in a film where she's trying to make a film about a stutter. Yes. Uh, her husband would be played by John Krasinski, who's her husband. And the only other bit of casting I have in it is like she has to try and convince someone. So like a studio executive. Like a Weinstein. Yeah, but not so problematic. Yes. But he'd have to try and um, sort of get an executive to back her and make this film. And in that role, the only person I could envision in my head was Holt McAlany. Oh. Holt McAlany. I don't know how to say his name. Sorry, Holt. But he's Mindhunter. Yes. Uh, Nightmare Alley, Fight Club. Great supporting actor. Got I could see voice. him as being that stern, like, well, I'm not budging. The people don't want to see a film about this. Mm. It's a really interesting layered meta film. That I really like it. It's a really good idea. Yeah, and why did they not want to see a film like this? Exactly. You know? Yeah. So it'd be a straightforward drama. Spike Jones directing. Emily Blunt, John Krasinski and Holt McAlany. Mm. And I'd call the film Did I Stutter? Harry. What? Um, do you think it's acceptable for us to use uh, real footage of Emily Blunt talking about her um, speech impediment? It's, it's for a good cause. It is, yeah. It's for a good cause, don't worry. Yeah, but it's important that you shine a light on it. And us actually showing the listener that we're discussing this topic shows that we're being meta about a film that's going to be meta. So that makes it double meta, which is really on trend right now. Then why are you asking me? I just, I just want to make sure because I don't want us to get cancelled before we've even got fucking found. So it's important. The worst thing you can say to Shh, someone is... The worst thing is you could finish their sentence. That's so frustrating mm. if someone does it. The worst thing you can say is breathe or slow down. It's not about that. More than 80 million people internationally stutter. Emily Blunt wants to help them find their voice. I feel like my stutter was more under control by the time I was about 14. Um, it still comes back and flares if I'm really tired or when I was pregnant, it was really, really prominent again. Um, is that because the, is that because the no movement? space, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, no diaphragm movement. And it, oh, she goes on a bit, doesn't she? Right. 